About 25 years ago, I was sitting in a lazy boy recliner with my feet up in the air watching a Denver Bronco game in Los Angeles, California. I was relaxed. I was comfortable. I didn't have to be somebody, you know, for somebody else. I didn't have to portray an image, a persona for somebody. Susan and I were housing for the Mumas. Don Muma was the pastor of Bel Air Presbyterian Church where I worked at the time. And so it was his lazy boy chair, his big screen TV, and it was his phone that, that rang. Well, Susan went into the kitchen and she picked up the phone. She was gone a minute or so and then she came running back into the room just out of breath and in a panic. I remember I jumped up in the chair thinking that maybe somebody had died back in Denver or something and she burted out, Peter, Peter, Nancy Reagan's on the phone. I remember I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I, the phone ring, I picked it up and this voice on the end of the phone said, Nancy Reagan calling for Don Muma from Camp David and before I could tell him that Don wasn't here, I hear this voice on the other end of the phone that said, Don, 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 is that you? I didn't know what to say. So I said, just a minute, I ran back in here and now you need to go in and check her. Go talk to Nancy Reagan. She's on the phone in the kitchen. And I knew it was probably true. I mean, Don Muma had been the Reagan's pastor. That was their church before I had, before I had gotten there. Uh, until, uh, I didn't know him, until the Reagan's had gone back to, he had some job in Washington or something. Anyway, she just screamed at me, go talk to him. And I said, you go talk to him. You picked up the phone. And she said, yeah, but, 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 but you're the man. She'd pull that on me every now and then. You're the man. You go talk to him. I said, I'm not talking to him. You go talk to him. I mean, it was just too much. You know, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. I mean, what would I say to Nancy Reagan? What if I messed it up? And so I said it again I'm not talking to her you go talk to her she said no you go talk to her I said, you go talk to her you go talk to her you go talk to her it went on like that for quite a while well Nancy Reagan the first lady most powerful woman in the world at the time while well, Nancy Reagan waited on the phone in the kitchen <laughs> well we continued our debate until finally I won and so Susan walked back into the kitchen picked up the phone and said Hello, I'm sorry, Dawn is out of town. Thanks for calling, goodbye. And she hung up on <laughs> Nancy Reagan. And so, you see, neither of us really did or would have talked to Nancy Reagan, the person. For the persona, the form of Nancy Reagan, is so imposing it's hard to talk to her simply as a person. I imagine that's part of why so many famous people are really very lonely people. The, the self that they've created is so wondrous, so immense that no one connects with the spirit. The heart, deep inside the, the person, uh, remains hidden. And, and, and other people are so intimidated they can't reveal their hearts either. Uh, they just become all discombobulated. You talk to her. No, you talk to her. A girl in the Midwest was on a trip to... Hollywood, California, and she ran into Paul Newman in an ice cream store. She couldn't believe it. I mean, it was so gorgeous, you know, so famous. She tried so hard not, not to stare. She tried so hard to be cool. She paid for her ice cream cone, and she casually walked out of the ice cream store. When she got outside, she took a deep breath and then realized that she walked out without her ice cream cone. 
already feeling kind of silly, she decided to wait outside until Mr. Newman left the counter. And so she watched, and when he left the counter, she went uh, back in, find her ice cream cone. As she got to the counter, she felt this tap on her shoulder. She turned around, and it was Paul Newman. He said, excuse me, ma'am, but if you're looking for your ice cream cone, you put it in your purse. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take off your shoes, for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. I am that I am. And then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind, saying, Job, gird your loins, and you answer me. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and seated upon a throne. Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold they shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were much afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not! But behold, in all these cases, they did not know quite what to say. And they put their ice cream cones in their purses. I mean, have you ever wondered how God could relate to us, being so powerful, so glorious, so famous, so beautiful, so good, so large, and how we could relate to him, being so fragile? and so weak, and so easily terrified and frightened. How could we truly relate heart to heart? How could we commune with him? The question I'm asking is, does God ever feel like Nancy Reagan on the phone in the kitchen? Or Paul Newman at the ice cream store? Or one of those lonely supermodels you read about in Us magazine or People magazine whose persona, form, image, self is so powerful and beautiful that, that their heart remains hidden. The central theme of the great part of the Old Testament, wrote G.K. Chesterton, is the loneliness of God. Martin Buber, the theologian, wrote that we only have two kinds of relationships in this world. I-it relationships and I-thou relationships. I-it is, is when I relate to others as objects in the world of space and time, as things, as its. I-thou is when I encounter another, not just as an it, but a thou, a subject, a spirit, a heart. In the present moment, a, a thou, a, a person is like a spirit or, or breath of God, an I that only exists in the eternal moment, the eternal now, an I that produces a self, a, a me, an it in space and time. A 200-pound pastor that likes the Broncos. It. You know, you can know all about it. <laughs> you can know all about that me, that self, and yet I may still remain unknown to you. I must be encountered to be truly known. And I long to be encountered and loved as I am. All real living, wrote Martin Buber, Buber is, is meeting. Meeting.
Well, anyway, I think that's why famous, powerful, beautiful people are often such lonely people. The it of uh, that uh, person is so large, it, it hides the thou, the spirit, the heart, the, the real me uh, deep inside th that person. So everyone talks about, everyone knows about Nancy Reagan, but who really knows Nancy? And Paul Newman must wonder, everybody loves my face, everybody loves my abilities, my, my salad dressing, but who loves me? <laughs> the real me. Nancy Reagan, Paul Newman, whose form is so large, so intimidating, most people would forget the person, loving, fearing, admiring, the persona. A few weeks ago, Susan and I saw that movie, uh, My Week with Marilyn. Have some of you seen that? Well, there's this uh, great scene in that movie. It's a true story, by the way, about this young man assigned to watch over Marilyn Monroe while she's filming a movie in London with Sir Lawrence Olivia. Well, this great scene is that at this one point, Marilyn says to this young man, she says, please don't leave me. Everybody loves Marilyn Monroe until they find out that she's me. And then they leave. I wonder if God ever feels like Marilyn Monroe or Nancy Reagan or Paul Newman, Norma Jean Mortensen. Have you ever seen baby pictures of famous people? That's Norma Jean Mortensen before she became Marilyn Monroe. I mean, when you see baby pictures of famous people, don't you find yourself almost uh, shocked by the fact that, oh yeah, N Nancy Reagan, Paul Newman, Marilyn Monroe, they, they, they were once babies, naked babies. They, they were once persons. And that's what's really so amazing about babies when you think about it, because what is a baby but, but a person without much persona? That is, they are an I without much accumulated me. They haven't had time to accumulate a self, and, and yet we love them as persons just as valuable, or maybe even more valuable, as any other. I mean, when I was a baby, I was just as much I as I am now. However, I hardly had any me, any six-foot-one, 200-pound pastor that, that loved the Broncos. No credentials, no abilities, nothing that I could really offer, nothing I could do. But my mom and dad, they loved me just because I was. And you see, I still long to be loved just because I am. I long to be loved unconditionally. In spite of all my accumulated me, both my successes and my failures. George MacDonald wrote, a man must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. My failures and my successes cover the naked me, the, the baby me that I am, and, and my successes do so even more successfully than my failures. My successes hide the breath of God in all my accumulated dust. The spirit in all my accumulated flesh, the person under all this persona. Our gospel is that God loves each person beneath the persona. Each person is 
priceless despite their great accomplishments or their miserable failures. James 4, 5, he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell within us. He loves us beneath all of the garbage that we have created, beneath all that pompous persona that we project when we're around others. And so, because he loves us like that, we must become like children to enter his kingdom. Become like children to receive his love. Become like children precisely because he loves unconditionally. Because he is love before all conditions. So, if you think you can condition God to love you with your great decisions and good deeds, if you think you can condition God to love you, well then of necessity you must be blind to unconditional love. And God is unconditional love. That's why we must lose ourselves, become like children, even little babies, to know him. He is unconditional love, loving unconditionally. God loves each one of us like that. And I'm just wondering if he longs himself to be loved like that. I'm just wondering if uh, he longs to be loved like that. Not, that. not that his self is corrupt like ours. I mean, the self that hides our hearts in arrogance and shame, but uh, that his attributes, his self is so tremendous, it hides his heart uh, to us with glory. I'm saying I long to be loved just because I am, and I'm asking, does God long to be loved just because he is, I am? Does he long for that kind of communion? Is God lonely for you somehow? One night, after a busy day with my busy job, talking to all kinds of busy and important people who had all sorts of good and bad opinions of me and really thought that they knew me, one night before Christmas, feeling really tired and very lonely, I tucked my daughter Becky into bed. <laughs> that's, that's Becky in the middle there. Must have been around that time. She was about three at the time. As I bent down to give her a kiss, I remember she reached up with her little hand, she grabbed my head, and she pulled my head down on her chest saying, you be the little baby, <laughs> and I'll be the big mommy. And for a moment, I was. I, I think it may have been the best Christmas present I've ever received. She patted my head and she said over and over again, I love you, little baby. <laughs> I love you. She didn't know how the sermon went, you see. She wasn't asking for any favors at that point. She placed no blame upon me. For a moment, I wasn't the big father. I was her little baby. She held me close, patted my head, and she knew me. She knew me better than anyone had known me that day. Maybe all week, maybe all my life. She knew me, she communed with me, and I rested for a moment. And I was so very not lonely. 
I just wonder if that's how God felt as Mary held Jesus to her chest, baby Jesus. Small, weak, no credentials. No favors to be granted, no prayer requests to be answered. Just, just baby, just person. I wonder if that's how God felt as Mary, his daughter, held Jesus, his heart, close to her chest, her heart, and talked baby talk and whispered, I love you, little baby, my baby. I mean, God certainly has a form that's imposing and rather discombobulating, don't, don't you think? I mean, creator, holy, other, absolute, purity and light and life, uh, fame, fortune, but, but who is he really? What is his person, his spirit? What's his heart? And how is he made known? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yahweh, I am that I am. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a food trough, a manger. No one has ever seen God, writes John, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. The bosom of the Father, that sounds like the heart of God. The only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. He. And Mary would pick him up, pat his head, and whisper, I love you, as he suckled at her breast. She held him, she stared at him, she sang to him, she encountered him, and when she did, she knew God, the real God, the very heart of God, the spirit of God. I think she knew God better than Moses knew God at the burning bush. Better than Elijah knew God on that mountain of fire, Mount Carmel. Better than the priests in the temple knew God, the God behind that immense curtain. She, she, she knew God. She saw God in her arms, and yet she was not consumed by holy fire. Was that because God said to Mary somehow, you be the big mommy, and I'll be the little baby. And Joseph would not be speechless in awe and wonder and terror. What would Joseph do? He'd talk baby talk. You know what's so great about baby talk is it really doesn't matter what you say. It's all how you say it. Ba, 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 ba. He would blow bubbles on the tummy of the Messiah <laughs> without being devoured by holiness and glory. In the words of Paul, although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being born a baby. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Could it be, at least in part, he wanted what all babies want, to be cuddled? to be chattered to, to be tickled, to be held, to be loved, to be known, to be encountered. I am just as I am. Essence of God, heart of God, very God of very God, who alone is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no eye has seen nor can see. Does that God long to be loved like a little baby? I mean, it, it really, doesn't it seem blasphemous even to suggest such a thing? And yet the angel said, that's his name, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the baby's name. 
God with us? Does God long to be loved unconditionally? <laughs> Even as he loves unconditionally. Does he long to be loved like this? Any of you have this, this book? Love You Forever by uh, Robert Munch. What a great name, Robert Munch. I'm going to read it to you. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth while she held him. She sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. But at nighttime, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I will like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The little boy uh, grew. He grew and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of the bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living my baby you'll be. The boy grew, he grew, he grew, and he grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends, and he wore strange clothes, and he listened to strange music. Sometimes his mother felt like she was in a zoo. But at nighttime, when that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of the bed. If he really was asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The teenager grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a grown-up man. He left home, got a house across town, but sometimes, on dark nights, the mother got into her car and drove across town. If all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window, crawled across the floor, and looked up over the side of his bed. If that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, I'm just asking, do you think that God might actually long to be loved like that? And, and you know, that picture reminds me of another picture. That's Mary, holding body broken and bloodshed, her son. 
Do you think God longs to be loved like that? Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. John 6.40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and trusts in him shall have eternal life. I mean, maybe eternal life is loving Jesus like that. Like Mary holding Jesus. Like the church holding body broken and blood shed. The heart of God. You know, when you love a baby... What are you doing? Well, I think you're like kind of loving unconditionally. You're loving a person without much persona, a person without a persona. You love someone that's, well, good for nothing. Because a baby can't serve you. A baby can't run errands for you. A baby can't work for you or meet your conditions. When you love a baby, you love someone that's good for nothing. Just good. And when you come to the cross, perhaps you love God when he's good for nothing. Kenosis is the word in Greek. Emptied. He's emptied. Nailed to wood. So he can't grant your requests. He can't work for you. He can't meet your conditions. When you come to the cross, maybe you love God when he's good for nothing. Just good. And yet that good is everything. That good is God. At the cross, you love the person of God stripped of his persona. You love God stripped of the form of God, to use Paul's words. You love God for who he is, who I am is. You love I am grace. Do you think God longs to be loved like that? The way he has loved you from the foundation of the world. Scripture says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. And, and so the covenant, you see, is not only new, it's eternal. Eternal, it's a promise, a covenant, older than time and deeper than space. God's covenant of grace. He says, I'll love you forever. I will like you for always, as long as I'm living my baby, my son, my daughter, my bride, my mother, you will be. Back to our story. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. And one day she called up her son and said, you better come see me because I'm very old and sick. And so her son came to see her. When he came in the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always. But she couldn't finish the song because she was too old and sick. So the son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang the song, I'll love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you'll be. And here's a surprise. We love God because he first loved us. He's always loved us. 
always held us in his arms, sung over us while we were sleeping. He's always loved us and longed for us to love him as he loves us. And so he emptied himself and entered our world as a baby, hung on a cross and gave up his spirit, his spirit that descends into the souls of men and women crying, Abba, Abba, baby talk, Abba, Father, Daddy, like a baby, he's begotten in us. He's begotten in us and begotten in those around us. Well, maybe God wants what every baby wants. Maybe God wants what he wanted that very first Christmas Eve. Maybe that's what he wants. And, and how could you give it to him? Well, Jesus said, whatever you do to the last and the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. And what are the last and the least? But persons without very much persona. And in every person, uh, under their success or their failure, under their pride and shame, under their persona, is a baby. <laughs> right? Every person was a baby. Under all that crap is a baby. And in that baby the breath of God. Maybe you could just love them because they is. Because I am is. Love them unconditionally. Love them without conditions. The way God loves you. And the way you love babies. So maybe God wants what he wanted that very first Christmas Eve. And how could you give it to him? Number one, you could love the people around you unconditionally. And number two, well, you could love God in a manger or on a cross unconditionally just for who he is, who I am is. So what does I am want for Christmas? You know, the wise men, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Stupid wise men. Right? I mean, what does a baby want with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? For that matter, what does God want with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? You see, this is amazing, but God and babies want the very same thing. They want you. They want to be held close to your heart. They want to rest on your chest. They want to be chattered to by you in love. They want to hear you sing, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my beloved, you will be. So on the night that he was betrayed, Stripped of all power and worldly glory, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. My body, my blood. You know, the kings of this world, by that I mean the first and the foremost. What do they do? They show you their money, they show you their power, and then they say, love me now. And they're lonely as hell. God empties himself of all things, lays down all power, 
and asks, would you love me now? And this is the doorway to the kingdom of heaven where eternally none are lonely. This, this is the judgment. He, he asks, would you love me for who I am? When I am is good for nothing, <laughs> just good. When I am good for nothing, good for nothing, and yet you see, that's everything. Why? That's the beginning of the party. When people love each other for no reason but love, that's the beginning of the party. When you love someone because they're good for something, what is it? It's death and hell, and immediately it's the end of the party. But when you love unconditionally, when they're good for nothing, you love them when they're good for nothing, well, that's everything. And so love Jesus in a manger. Love Jesus on a cross. And all things are yours. The only condition is that you have no conditions. And there's a word for that. The word is grace. And God is grace. Grace is your judgment. Grace is your redemption. Grace is your salvation. Grace is your sanctification. Grace is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it's his birthday. Christmas is a birthday. On birthdays, we celebrate the appearance of a baby, a person without much persona. We celebrate the breath of God. We celebrate the fact that I am is. Henry Nouwen writes this, birthdays need, need to be celebrated. I think it is more important to celebrate a birthday than a successful exam, a promotion, or a victory. Because to celebrate a birthday means to say to someone, thank you, thank you for being you. On a birthday, we do not say thanks for what you did, or what you said, or what you're going to say, or what you're going to accomplish, or what you accomplished, but we lift someone up and let everyone say, we love you. We love you. Breath of God, the fact that I am is, that God bent down and breathed his spirit into some dust, a baby. Well, Christmas is our Lord's birthday. So we're going to have a birthday party. You know that this table looks back to the cross when the unconditional love that is God invaded our world. But it's important you also know that this table looks forward to the great banquet when everything will be full of unconditional love. That's endless grace. And you see, that's a party. Our Lord's banquet is a, a birthday party. And so I know this may seem rather uncomfortable. It's kind of uncomfortable for me, okay? So I just need to say that. But I really want you to do this. I really want you to sing happy birthday to Jesus. And then I want you to come forward and take communion. And then eat cake, okay? Eat cake. So in other words, you're going to be loved unconditionally and then love unconditionally. So after you come through the communion line, someone's going to give you a piece of cake. If you're diabetic, listen closely, if you're diabetic or gluten-free, you don't have to eat it, eat it okay? But otherwise, um, be polite, okay? Eat some cake. It's his birthday, not your birthday. And um, 
parents, the kids will come in here in a little bit, but you can, they're going to go back downstairs and then you can pick them up down there. But whatever the case, we're going to have communion, eat cake, and then we're going to celebrate. That means you're going to sing, okay? We're going to celebrate Jesus because what does God want for Christmas? He wants what every baby wants. He wants you celebrating him. To put it in theological terms, he wants worship and communion. So let's do it, okay? Justin? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jesus. Happy birthday to you. This Christmas, um, celebrate Jesus. Worship Jesus, commune with Jesus, just be with him in prayer, in thought, in the people around you, because he's waiting to be with you. And by the way, this is kind of interesting, we found out why Nancy Reagan was calling that day, came out on the news later that week, she had found out that her husband who happens to be the president, or happened to be the president, had been diagnosed with colon cancer. And so you see, she was calling just to be with someone, just to talk to someone. Well, God would just like to talk to you. And it doesn't even make, doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> Baby talk is, is just fine. So spend time at Christmas just to talk to him. Abba, Abba, Abba Father. That's even his spirit in you. And have a Merry Christmas in Jesus' name. You see, he's good. He's very good. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Hey there. I hope the message that you just heard or viewed helped you to believe a little more that God is better than you thought, the love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. If that's so, I'd love it if you would consider two things. Number one, ask yourself if there's someone that you know that might benefit from this message, and then uh, forward this link onto them. There are several ways that you can do that by visiting our website at thesanctuarydowntown.org. Secondly, I'd love it if you'd uh, take just a moment and uh, ask the Lord if He'd like you to contribute to this endeavor financially. We really can't do this except for the fact that God inspires people like you um, to give. And uh, you can do that by uh, going to the website and clicking on uh, the donate button or uh, by simply mailing a check to the Sanctuary downtown at uh, 2215 West 30th Avenue, Denver, Colorado 80211. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing, and God bless you.